invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Since I think it was last January, we have been making our way through the Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the words of our Lord regarding the consummation of human history and his glorious return to earth to establish his millennial kingdom at the end of which will be the eternal state. Some wonderful, wonderful truths. And we come this morning to the second in a two-part series that I began last week regarding incentives to fear God and give him glory. Last week, we looked at the first three of four incentives, and this morning we will look at the final one. Let me read the text this morning, beginning in verse 12 of Revelation 14. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write! Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. May I encourage you this morning, beloved, that the Lord really wants us to understand this book. He didn't put it in there because he had nothing else to do. He put it in there for a reason. And it is interesting to note that this parentheses that we've come to in chapters 12 through 14 occurs in the middle of the Lord's revelation of of the book that he has given to us. And also, keep this in mind, in the middle of the chronology of the seven years of tribulation. Just after the sounding of the seventh trumpet. So you have this interlude, this parentheses right in the middle of the book, right in the middle of the chronology of Daniel's 70th week, the coming time of tribulation upon the earth. And in the middle here, he gives us this parentheses. And I, I just marvel at this to think that our omniscient teacher is so concerned that we understand these events in their proper sequence, that he gives us this little interlude. Of course, he tells us in Revelation 1 and verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. By implication, if you do not read, if you do not hear, if you do not heed, you are going to rob yourself of some of God's intended blessing. I certainly don't want to do that, and nor do you, I hope. Now, bear in mind that the details of the final judgments will resume in chapter 15 that will lead up to the Lord's arrival. But in chapters 12 and 13, the Lord recapitulates the events of chapter 6 through 11. You will recall in chapter 12, there is a description of the career of Satan, and then in chapter 13, we have the unveiling of the careers 
of the coming Antichrist and his false prophet. And beginning in Revelation 14 and verse 6 through verse 13, where we're at today, the Lord reveals to us four announcements that will be made during the last half of the tribulation. And each of these proclamations give incentives to believers to stay the course and to remain faithful to the Lamb, come what may, as they excitedly await the Lord's return. I believe that by now the church has been translated into heaven. We've been raptured. We've been snatched away. This now pertains to Daniel's 70th week, the judgments that once again God resumes on behalf of his covenant people, Israel. And there will be many Gentiles that will be saved during this time, but certainly Israel as a nation, the remnant that is left, will be saved and enter into the promised and long anticipated kingdom. But these announcements also give warning to unbelievers that will exist during this time, those who reject the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, and worship the beast. Now, by way of review, this is very important for you to keep it in mind here. Last week we examined, as I say, the first three of those four angelic um, uh, announcements. The, the angel is preaching, flying in mid-heaven. We see three of these each one giving incentive to fear God and giving glory because of, number one, the eternal gospel. We have the eternal gospel. That's what he preaches. The exceedingly good news that God, who is the creator and the sustainer and the consummator of all things, has made provision for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God through the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, and that alone, we need to fear God and give him glory. But there was a second incentive that is announced, and that is the fall of Babylon. You will recall that that is a reference to the coming religious, political and economic empire ruled by Satan and his stooge, the Antichrist. To know that all of this political world will eventually fall, all of these governments all of them will be destroyed becomes yet a second reason to fear God and give him glory. Might I pause for just a moment? May, may I remind you folks of something? Don't place your faith in government. Don't place your faith in politicians. It's amazing to me all of the time and resources even Christian people put into politics, trying to somehow... Christianize America. I mean, you must remember, dear friends, we're citizens of another kingdom. <laughs> and to somehow moralize America is only going to produce hypocrisy. These people need the transforming power of the gospel. They need to be saved. That is our commission. And so to try to moralize our country and vote in enough people that are going to be Christians so that we can turn this thing around is utter foolishness. All you're doing is rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. So, beloved, we need to preach the gospel. And as we look at the coming fall of Babylon, we see again that all of these things that are going to merge into that monolithic empire of the Antichrist is all going to fall apart. 
and the Lord will come. Another reason to give to fear God and give him glory. But the third incentive that we studied has to do with the torment that awaits the beast worshipers. That which was proclaimed by the third angel. And let me read this to you in verse nine. And another angel, a third one, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he also will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Now, this leads us to where we're at today. The fourth announcement. This is a fourth and I might add very positive incentive. To fear God and to give him glory. And that has to do with the blessings that await the lamb worshipers that we have just read a minute ago in verses 12 and 13. Now, keep in mind, put yourself in the tribulation period that is coming. This message will be crucial for saints to hear as they contemplate the increased Persecution that will be poured out upon them as they contemplate, in many cases, their own martyrdom. As they endure the wrath of Satan. Bear in mind again that by now the dragon has been banished from heaven, as we read in chapter 12 and verse 9. This is now the time of Jacob's trouble, the worst period in the history of of God's covenant people, Israel, a period of unprecedented persecution for them and for all who worship the Lamb. And by now, the Lord Jesus Christ is blasphemed and hated in ways that are utterly inconceivable. You think it's bad now? It'll be far worse then. Now, there are three important themes that I believe emerge from this stunning pronouncement of blessing that awaits the Lamb worshipers. They are, number one, the perseverance of a genuine faith. Secondly, the promise of future blessing. And thirdly, the perpetual reward of righteous deeds. Now, beloved, these astounding truths should stir the heart of every saint and cause us all to fear God and give him glory. And again, these will be profound words of encouragement and promise to those who are living in that day. And I might also add it's a welcomed respite from the previous narrative of God's judgment that we have studied in the past, that judgment upon the beast worshipers and all the unbelieving world. Now, notice first John's inspired word of encouragement that really distinguishes those who will remain loyal to the lamb versus those who will choose to be loyal to the beast and consequently be made to drink of the wine of the wrath of God. In verse 12, here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Now, 
Here we are reminded of a most precious and profound doctrinal truth, one that is rooted in a biblical understanding of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, namely, number one, the perseverance of genuine saving faith. Sometimes this is called the doctrine of eternal security. He says, here is the perseverance of the saints, Hypomone in the original language. It means to patiently endure. No other group in redemptive history, beloved, will ever experience the level of persecution as will these dear people during the time of tribulation. Yet despite their suffering, they persevere. Beloved, please understand, like all of salvation, this is a work of God. It's not a work of man. This is the glorious promise of God that genuine saving faith will persevere. Our salvation is eternally secure. You must bear in mind that the same spirit that caused us to be born again unto eternal life secures our eternal salvation. In Ephesians 1.13, we read, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. In chapter 4, verse 30, we read that the Holy Spirit is the one by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. To say otherwise would imply that the Spirit's work of sealing is insufficient. We persevere, beloved, because our salvation is part of of God's sovereign plan that was decreed in eternity past. You will remember that the Lord said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Scripture teaches that we persevere because of the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of every believer. For example, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, we read, He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Beloved, to say, as some unfortunately do, that we can lose our salvation would imply that the Lord's intercessory work is deficient and ineffective. I'm not willing to say that. A believer will persevere as well because of the faithfulness of God to his word, who assures us of our salvation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, we read, faithful is he who calls you and he also will bring it to pass. He also will bring it to pass. Amazing. Again, bear in mind, according to Ephesians 1, 4, we're told that he chose us in eternity past. That's when he set all of this into motion. And in verse 5, we learn that we have been predestined to the status of sonship in Christ. So this is all a work of grace. Beloved, it is the power of God that will accomplish his purposes in our salvation. We have been, according to 1 Peter 1 and verse 3, born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. And he goes on to add, and I love this, we are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. I ask, are you not united to Christ? Are you not united with Christ through your faith, therefore making you secure with respect to your inheritance, even as the Lord Jesus is secure? For this reason, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3 and verse 3, for you have died in Christ and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Beloved, genuine saving faith never fails. And that's what we see here in this text. God secures and guarantees the final salvation of all true believers, and he will cause them to persevere in his grace. Our security is the result of the fact that it is God who is the author of salvation. First John verse three, we read that no one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. And Paul says in first Corinthians one and verse eight, he shall confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians one six, he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Beloved, never forget this. There was absolutely nothing that you did to save yourself. So. Why would you assume that it's going to be up to you to stay saved? I have to confess, dear friends, if I could lose my salvation, I would. I have no doubt. So I rejoice in the words of our Lord in John 6:39, where he said, and this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. And I love Psalm 37, verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way when, not if, but when he falls, he shall not be hurled headlong. Why? Because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. And in verse 28, we read that the Lord, quote, does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. What did Paul say in Romans eight? There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And people will ask, well, but what about those who apostatize? Those who renounce their faith? Well, the answer is simple. They were never born again. Theirs was a false profession. First John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are all not of us. Despite their profession, Matthew seven, the Lord says, not everybody that calls me Lord is going to enter the kingdom. In fact, most people will deceive themselves into believing that they know Christ when in fact they do not. Well, but what about those who professed Christ and then later just kind of fell away? Well, Jesus explained this in his parable of the soils. 
These are the ones represented by the rocky soil. You'll recall in Mark four, verse 16, where the Lord says, these are the ones to whom are on whom seed was sown on the rocky places who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. Dear Christian, we can rejoice. As Jude tells us in verse 21, we are waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And in verse 24, he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. So we come back to this wonderful encouragement in verse 12. Where the Lord speaks through his apostle and says, here is the perseverance, the patient endurance of the saints. So bear in mind, not even the prospect of martyrdom will cause them to renounce their faith. And on what basis can we know that a person is genuinely born again? What validates genuine saving faith that will persevere come what may? Well, we see that here. The end of verse 12, they will be saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Beloved, true believers love the word and live the word regardless of consequences. It's as simple as that. They will refuse to wear the mark of the beast during this time. They will prefer death before they would be disloyal to the Lord Jesus. And notice their obedience will manifest itself in their faith in Jesus. Last October, when I was in Siberia with my dear Russian friends and pastors, I learned some about the, the, the tactics of the communists that were used in persecuting Christians. And even since that time, I've heard even from some who are part of our church who have had family in Russia of these same tactics. And they told me that one of the things that they would commonly do would be to substitute the name of a Christian person, usually the father of a family, the husband. They would substitute that name on a, on a file, on a dossier of, of either a fictitious or a real criminal. And they would bring that file into that family and bring the family around and have that family set while the father reads his name on a file that had nothing to do with him. And the word would basically be either you renounce Christ or this is what's going to court and you will be executed. We don't know how the enemy will work in the coming days of tribulation but, beloved, it would certainly be similar to that. Can you imagine men reading that and having your family hear that? And now you've got a choice. Are you going to die for Christ and leave your family? Or are you going to renounce Christ? Stories abound like this of those who persevered. Periodically, I like to read from Fox's Book of Martyrs. It reminds me of the true cost of discipleship. You know, it's easy to lose that in our culture where 
doesn't really cost you much to be a Christian, even though it's mounting. But when I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, I'm reminded of that true cost and yet also the infinite value of following Christ. Let me give you an example so that we can understand the depth of the types of things our brethren will endure during the time of the tribulation. And yet, even in the midst of this, they, by God's grace, will persevere. On the 16th of October, 1555, two godly and learned pastors, Dr. Nicholas Ridley, Bishop of London, and Mr. Hugh Latimer, the Bishop of Worcester, were burnt in one fire at Oxford. I've been to the very place where this occurred. Their crime? They opposed the many heresies of the Roman Catholic Church, especially the heresy of the Catholic Mass, which was described as, quote, manifold superstitions and trifling fooleries, end quote. Upon his sentencing, Pastor Ridley gave the following sharp reproof unto the papists and especially to the higher house of parliament. Here's what he said, and I quote, As you have banqueted and lain by the horror in the fornication of her whorish dispensations, pardons, idolatry, and such like abominations, so shall ye drink with her, except ye repent betimes of the cup of the Lord's indignation and everlasting wrath, which is prepared for the beast, his false prophets, and all their partakers. For he that is partner with them in their plagues and in the latter days shall be thrown with them into the burning lake. Thus fare ye well, my lords all. I pray God give you understanding of his blessed will and pleasure and make you to believe and embrace the truth. End quote. In the last paragraph of a very lengthy farewell to his family and fellow believers, he said this, and I quote, Farewell, dear brethren, farewell. Let us comfort our hearts in all troubles and in death with God's word. For heaven and earth shall perish, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. Farewell, Jesus Christ's dearly beloved spouse. Here wandering in this world in a strange land, encompassed about with deadly enemies who seek thy destruction. Farewell, farewell to you, O ye, the whole universal congregation of the chosen of God here living upon earth. The true church militant of Christ, the true mystical body of Christ, the very household and family of God and the sacred temple of the Holy Ghost. Farewell. Farewell, O thou little flock of the high heavenly pastors of Christ, for to you it hath pleased the heavenly Father to be an everlasting and eternal kingdom. Farewell, thou spiritual house of God, thou holy and royal priesthood, thou chosen generation, thou holy nation, thou one spouse. Farewell, farewell, end quote. Beloved, we can thank the Lord that he has secured us. We can praise him for his securing work in our lives that will cause even us 
to persevere in his grace, come what may. There is yet a second theme that emerges from this stunning pronouncement of blessing that awaits the lamb worshipers who fear God and give him glory. Not only because of the perseverance of their faith, but secondly, the promise of future blessing. Notice in verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Now, here, God himself speaks to John and commands him to express his deep concerns for those who will be martyred for their loyalty to Christ. Victims of the beast, those who are, as we read here, the dead who die in the Lord. Now, these are the ones that are described as well in chapter 12, verse 11. The ones that did not love their life even to death. I might also add that this is the second of seven Beatitudes in Revelation. The blessing here. Blessed means happy or fortunate. It refers to spiritual joy that one has in the Lord regardless of circumstances. Biblically, it speaks of the internal experience of fulfillment and peace and satisfaction and contentment, regardless of what's happening in life. And indeed, all the tribulation saints that will experience the cruel and violent consequences of the Antichrist, simply because of their love for Christ, will find death to be a welcomed relief and the bliss of heaven, the ultimate blessing. Now, bear in mind, all of us who are in Christ are blessed. However, the experience of joy and serenity and contentment available to us from Christ will be something that, frankly, we won't experience unless we are obedient to him. Let me digress for a moment. If you're here today or within the sound of my voice and you are unhappy, I would encourage you to measure your life against some of the Old Testament descriptions of the blessed attitudes and actions that lead to blessing. Of course, we know that happiness begins with trusting God for salvation. In Psalm 2, verse 12, we read how blessed are all who take refuge in him, referring to the Lord Jesus, God's son. In Psalm 32, verse 1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now, might I add here that neither the objective reality nor the subjective experience of divine blessing will ever exist within a person apart from salvation. Now, some might say, Pastor, I know that I know I'm saved, but I confess I'm I'm a very unhappy person. Well, very often, if you're kind of sour and sullen. Often there is a doctrinal issue here as well as an obedience issue. You either do not understand the glorious blessings that are yours in the word of God and or you are not living obedient to the word. For example, in Psalm 1, verse 1, we read, How blessed is the man 
who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in television. But his delight is in wasting countless hours texting your friends concerning idiotic frivolities. But his delight is in his hobbies. But his delight is in entertainment. But his delight is in his career. And on and on it goes. No, the blessed man will have his delight, the text says, in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. That's the word of God. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 40, verse 4. How blessed is the man who has made the Lord his trust and has not turned to the proud nor to those who lapse into falsehood. Psalm 41, verse 1. How blessed is he who considers the helpless. The Lord will deliver him in day of trouble. And it can go on and on. Psalm 106, verse 3, how blessed are those who keep justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Dear friend, if you are an unhappy saint, you need to measure your life against the word of God. Psalm 112, verse 1, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. I love that. Do do you fear the Lord? Do you greatly delight in his commandments? Do you love one another? Do you love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul and strength? Do you forgive one another? The word says we're not to let any unwholesome word ever come out of our mouth. We're told not to forsake the assembling together of the saints. Pray without ceasing. There are so many commands. Do you love those commands? Let me get a little bit more personal. We are commanded to be good stewards of what God has given us to worship the Lord through financial giving. I am aware that there are those within our church who virtually give nothing ever. I assure you, you are unhappy. Because you are not living consistently with what God has called you to do. You are not practicing righteousness at all times. We are told in the word of God that we are to give as God has purposed in our in our heart. If it's only twenty five cents, give it. But we are commanded to give regularly, joyfully, sacrificially, expectantly as an act of worship. Yet many Christians spend everything on themselves and give him nothing. And beloved, please hear me. That is symptomatic of much deeper spiritual issues. Instead of delighting in the Lord's commandments, you are disregarding them and disobeying him. Wherever this is true, your joy, your happiness, your contentment will be directly linked to circumstances in life. If things are going good, you're happy and you feel, oh, isn't it great? The Lord is blessing me. All of a sudden things go bad and you are down for the count. Well, there are many other examples of the consequences of a disobedience. But, beloved, please hear me. Take inventory. The blessed man greatly delights in the Lord's commandments. He does not disregard them. He does not disobey them. Because to do so is to forfeit blessing. 
So take inventory. Where am I dishonoring the Lord in my life? Psalm 119, 2. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. In the New Testament, Matthew 5, Jesus defined those who are blessed as those who are poor in spirit, who mourn over their sin, who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Is that you? It's a description of a believer. I hope it's so. Those who are merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. These are the marks of genuine saving faith. But also bear in mind that even in the New Testament, the concept of blessing that is summed up by the Greek term makarios is really a divine paradox. It is an amazing thing because what it really is is an inner experience of the riches of the kingdom of God amidst the external trials of this world. It's an amazing thing. When I was in Kenya a few years ago, and as I continue to interact with the pastors that I was able to train there, and as we continue to support some of them, I will never forget the first time I entered the classroom in that seminary. And I saw these pastors sitting there. They had nothing. A couple of them were shivering in the back corner with malaria. Their fever was so high. And yet they had a huge smile on their face. Absolutely astounding. I noticed that a number of them did not have pins that worked very well. And I had a whole, I had put a whole bag of pins in my, one of those little sandwich bags, thinking that I might need some extras. I started handing out pins. You would have thought it was Christmas. I began to realize that many of them were hungry. I went and bought some candy bars. Cost us virtually nothing. To them, it was an amazing treat. I had men coming up and hugging me for a candy bar. I never heard any complaints. I never heard any murmuring, any whining. Some of these men had traveled as much as a week on foot and on bicycle and hitchhiking to get there. Absolutely astounding. They were not sour, nor were they sullen, like so many depressed Americans. Why? Because their trust was exclusively in the Lord and His provision, and they were rejoicing in what mattered the most. What a paradox. The blessings of inner joy, the inner experience of the riches of the kingdom, even though the world is very, very painful. First Peter three, the apostle says this in verse 14, that even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And he went on to say, in chapter four, verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Oh, dear friends, what a marvelous promise to be sure this will be the experience of those tribulation saints. However, it's important to understand, while all saints are blessed when they die, with the ineffable riches of the glories of the kingdom of God, the emphasis here in Revelation 14 and verse 13 is on the particular blessings that will await those who suffer the extreme persecution during this time of the tribulation during the last half of Daniel's 70th week. 
during this time when Satan will be absolutely apoplectic with rage, having been banished from heaven and now confined to earth, knowing that his time is short. Again, put yourself there. You have no job. You have no ability to buy or to sell because you refuse to wear the mark of the beast. You refuse to capitulate to the political correctness of that day. So your family is starving. Your family members are being ripped from you. Some of them are being killed. Virtually every ecosystem of the world will be virtually destroyed by this time because of the seal and the trumpet judgments. It's a horrible time. So, beloved, this beatitude will be especially comforting to those who will live during that day. Those who, as we read here, die in the Lord from now on. You see, these dear martyrs will be examples of what James tells us in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You see, here is the promise of future blessing. So here the Lord speaks through his beloved apostle, reminding us of his love and the, and the promises regarding the power of persevering faith and, and the promise of future blessing. Again, promises that are yet more incentives to fear God and to give him glory. But look again at verse 13. We read, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Then notice, yes, the Greek grammar here indicates that this is a strong affirmation. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. And here we discover a third and final theme of deep encouragement and incentive to fear God and give him glory. And that is the perpetual Reward of righteous deeds. It's interesting. This is the first time the Holy Spirit speaks in the apocalypse. He's going to speak again in chapter 22 and verse 17 with respect to the Lord's appearing when he says, come. And here we learn of the basis of the blessedness. Notice that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow with them. Labors in the original language is a term That means to work to the point of exhaustion. Hard work that produces weariness, that produces fatigue. And again, these dear saints will witness their spouses and their children, their family members and friends who love Christ being ripped away from them. They will experience martyrdom like the world has never known. Yet they never stop proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God, the only Savior. Nothing silences their confession. Again, though they are filled with sorrow, though their physical bodies are fatigued and their spirits are are wounded, though they are hungry and thirsty and no doubt sick, no doubt untold cruelties will buffet their bodies and their minds. They will persevere in grace. You see. A living faith does not die because it cannot die. Then finally, the welcomed relief, and this is the point of the passage, the welcomed relief of death suddenly snatches them away into the instant glories of heaven. In a moment, they are absent from the body and they are present 
with the Lord. One second they are suffering in the in the toil of living for Christ in a world that has fallen, that hates them and hates the one that they love. And then in a moment they slip through the veil and suddenly they are in the ineffable presence of the God of glory. What a rest. And with this in mind, the spirit says, yes. That they may rest from their labors. You see, friends, this is the blessed hope of every saint, but especially the tribulation saint, both Jew and Gentile. And what an incredible contrast. Think of this. Those who worship the lamb are assured of eternal rest from their labors. But according to verse 11, those who worship the beast have no rest day or night. Instead, in verse 10, they drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup of his anger. And they will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. But notice, finally, what our precious Holy Spirit adds. Another fascinating thought. He says, for their deeds follow with them. Deeds here is a reference to the outward expression of the inner man of the of the, I should say, maybe the character and the conduct of faith and obedience, even in the face of torture and death. Beloved, a man can say what he wants to about his spirituality. A man can say what he wants about his love for Christ. A man can make all manner of claims about his steadfastness of faith, but who he is in the face of death is the measure of the man. Sometimes the most godly people are the least recognized. Sometimes the most ungodly are the most recognized. But their sincerity of heart their steadfastness of faith will not go unnoticed. Indeed, the, the, the virtues and deeds that have made up their character and conduct will go with them into paradise. For we are never separated as a person from what we do, regardless of who sees our works. God sees them. 1 Timothy 5.25, we read, Deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. God will see them. That's the point. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. Beloved, here is the perpetual reward of righteous deeds. You remember in 1 Corinthians 3, Verses 12 through 14, we read how that God will one day test our works to determine if they are gold, silver and precious stones or if they are merely wood, hay and straw. Did we as workmen build with quality materials or worthless ones? Did we serve the Lord and build in the kingdom with the quality materials of Selfless sacrifice, selfless ambition, wanting God to receive all the glory with pure motives to see God exalted in all things or with the wood, hay and straw 
of selfish ambition, of self-centered service, of giving God the leftovers of our time, of our talent, and of our treasure. God will see, God will test. What is valuable will be rewarded. What is not will be burned up. Oh, dear friend, fear God and give him glory in every area of your life. Please hear that. Live in the light of Christ's return. He's coming. He's coming soon. Rejoice knowing that by God's grace, you will persevere in your faith, come what may. Rejoice as you anticipate the promise of future blessing. And rejoice being assured that your labor is not in vain. God sees it all. And soon we will all have rest from our labor. I'm looking forward to that day. Knowing that there awaits for us in heaven a perpetual reward for righteous deeds. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the truths of your word. I pray, Lord, that you will nourish our heart with them, that you will cause us to bear the fruits of the Spirit of God in our life. And Lord, may we truly fear you and give you glory. And Lord, I pray especially for those who really know nothing of the Savior we love, who know nothing of the transforming power of the gospel. Oh, God. I pray that by your grace, you would overwhelm them with the reality of their sinfulness. Lord, may today be the day that they run to the Savior, that they fall on their face in brokenness and humility and cry out for you to save them. Lord, we pray that today will be the day they will experience the miracle of the new birth. For it's in Jesus name that I pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to pastor, Bible teacher, and author David Harrell. For more information, or to order additional tapes or CDs of Pastor Harrell's messages, please visit olivetreeresources.org.